All right. Hello, everyone. And this is Gracie with Self-Care with Gracie. Welcome back. This is our week number four of the guilt to great, from guilt to greatness, transforming your inner control freak into a true goddess. It's a weekly podcast series I'm doing um, with a series of guests where we're talking about how to move from habitually getting smaller, closing ourselves down into a, a bigger state of being. And bigger state of being meaning like how to find like what truly makes us um, great in this world and own it and not apologize for it. So this might sound like small stuff, but I actually think it's like pretty hugely epic. And um, so first of all, we have Larissa here with us. Hello. (laughs) Um, And before we start, actually, I I wanted to um, just introduce that I actually have a, um, a, a self-care program that I coach uh, and promote. And I'm laughing just because I, I have people, clients who've taken the program. And they're like, you never talk about it on your podcast. So I actually do something that maybe you would want to sign up for and join. It's, it's, uh, it's called Self-Care 101. And it's a 10-week program where I take a group of around 20 women through a 10-week habit change process. It's like very profound work. We work a lot on changing physical habits a lot on like group support and how to really like receive and, and um, let other people help us with something, which is a big edge for many of us. And also how to feel our feelings, which might sound like a very simple thing, but it's, it's a challenging one as well. And I, I found that it needs a pretty safe space and some, some guidance around that. And the whole overall result is just a very, very deep life shift. There's the closing retreat that that we do, and I just did the one for the fall course this last weekend. It was profound, just beautiful experience. So, I highly I highly suggest if you're looking like to to really get things moving, or you know that you can't do your whole self care thing on your own, that would be the time to reach out. And I'm a little over half full for the winter program, and would love to talk to you about it. So you can go to self care with Gracie and just scroll down a little bit, and you can click on the the page, read more and fill out an application and schedule a phone call to chat with me more if you are interested. So, okay, that's, that's all the advertising I will do on this podcast. And now we are going to talk to Larissa today. Uh, um, The subject matter is around like really putting ourselves out there. The first week we talked about control and like letting go of control, like letting go of staying safe and small the guilt feeling, all of that. And then the second week we talked about, I was with, um, that was with Caroline. And then second week was with Lindsay. And we talked about the vulnerability of expressing ourselves and creativity and just even deciding to make something. And um, last week I had Mark on, a, a guy, podcast guest, pretty epic, and talked about competitiveness and collaboration and and the ways that we can hold ourselves back by trying to be the best and the ways we can help ourselves move forward with being collaborative. And so where I think the journey needs to go next is really like, okay, so let's just say it and let's put it out there. And then, oh my gosh, the fear of rejection and the fear of of actually starting to get bigger and what that brings up. So I was excited to have my, um, my, friend and client and collaborator Larissa come and talk to us today. And so I had scheduled with her earlier last week and Larissa is an amazing visionary in the um, primary education system of like, what is it to really nurture very young children into thriving students and, uh, and human beings. And 
we've talked a lot about what self-care means in that work. So her and I have been doing some very cool um, collaboration that we'll, maybe we'll get into on this podcast. And so this morning, though, Lewis and I, we got on the phone and we both were like, everything is falling apart. Everything, all of these feelings are coming up. It was it was a, an emotional conversation. We were talking about whether or not we could even podcast. So I was like, we just need to do this. So Larissa said this really well, that we're not really in the scars right now. We're in the wounds, but I, I think that's okay because I, I really want everyone who's listening to feel like in the pa- process of growth and becoming who you are, it's okay to feel pain and actually the feeling, the pain and feeling, feeling all the feelings is a sign that you're going in the right direction. I think. So Larissa and I wanted to get a little bit more into this. So I, I really want to thank you, Larissa, for being so brave and coming onto the podcast and, and sharing and uh, really excited to see what emerges in our conversation. So thank you. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Gracie, for having me. I feel really privileged and honored to be on this call. I've been listening to the series since the first one and have been very curious about uh, just the evolution of where these conversations um, are going to go. Ooh, well, can I ask you uh, first, just from yes. your <laughs> the listener listening to the series, like what has it been bringing up for you as, as we've been talking about moving from control into empowerment? Mm. So I think that uh, one of the biggest things for me and, and listening to everybody is really um, always what's the most powerful thing is listening to people's narratives. Um, just as I listened to you just now describe how both of us are going to have this conversation from a place of struggle um, as we are kind of getting meta about the whole situation and thinking about, you know, uh, uh, what's going on with us. It's been really powerful to hear everyone's um, personal stories about, about their own uh, hurdles and challenges with creativity. Um, I'm trying to think back to the first uh, call that you had uh, with Caroline and, uh, you know, that conversation actually really delved into, you know, our personal life and love and opening ourselves up in relationships. So it's been, um, I think the most powerful thing is just really hearing people's stories uh, and really um, hearing their struggle within their narrative and, and uh, that this isn't a perfect process right? Like that we don't really know the answers, but um, in conversation with people and in community, that that's how we really, and we kind of talked about this earlier, but that's how you really make the breakthroughs, um, that this is a journey that can't be, can't be done alone. So I think that's what's been um, the most powerful for me. Yes. I felt that way so much when we were talking today. I I was a mess. (laughs) And just hearing you, you were so open about where you were struggling and so honest and so, and so vulnerable. And it, it just made me feel like I could own that in myself and that I, it was okay to be having like a hard day or a hard few days and that it wasn't a sign of weakness. Because when I hear you share about it, like I just, I think you're doing such amazing work in this world. And when you share about like, your moments of, of doubt or like feelings that like maybe you're on the wrong path or something. Like I just, I never feel that I'm always like, no, it's really strong that you're, that you're even letting yourself kind of evaluate and look at your overall trajectory and that you're sharing from this place. So it helped me to see like, okay, if that's true for Larissa, that her feeling, her feelings and having some self doubt that, that 
it's not a weakness in me, but I, I just think it's for myself. It's so much harder to be compassionate with myself when I'm going through a hard time. Whereas with a, with a friend or someone I admire, I, I totally see it as like just a necessary part of their own growth. You know, I feel like we're just like diving into the conversation now. <laughs> um, but in terms of, you know, really what you wanted to really focus on today in terms of failure and fear of rejection and just fear in general in this entire process and endeavor of leading this big, beautiful, bold, creative life. It's like in our head, it's we 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 create this vision of what that life is for ourselves and we get so excited about it. And then when we actually enter the journey, uh, that's when we're like, oh boy, like this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and um, I think, you know, uh, as we were talking about today, I think a really big part of that process is failure and fear and fear of rejection. And that's something that I, I feel like as a, society right we don't do well like we don't uh we don't teach our children to fail well uh we teach them that there's this one correct answer for everything that you know we have all this personal initiative to move forward and um we forget that this it's it's a collaborative creative process and um that we have to be compassionate with ourselves and i think that's really like when i heard you say that just now like that's really hard for me too um, is to, uh, to be gentle, um, when, when things like fear of rejection come up or when failure arises. And, uh, you're absolutely right. It's like, even in this conversation, like talking to you gives me strength, right? It like gives me, and we talk about this in our work too, it gives me permission. Okay, right. I, I can feel inadequate. Like I can have these fear feelings. Like I can, uh, fail and fail miserably and I can have the resilience to pick myself back up and try it again. Um, and so, yeah, I think in this, in this whole creative big process, uh, we forget that it's collaborative um, and that we need people. We need people to help us remember our, our strength when we forget it and like carry us and like we need to carry other people like I, I just, I feel like this is what the collective is really all about is like, just like if we're in it together, then we can all just like have our moments to break down. <laughs> and what yeah. I, I always find is when I'm breaking down, there's someone who's strong, who's like ready to help. Like if I reach out, if I'm like willing to like receive some support and, and break through the facade that I have it all figured out. And of, and of all the addictions that I've struggled with in my life, like addiction to success is the hardest mm. one because it, I, I really want to know how this factors into your journey. I'm just going to say how I experience it first. Um, it's just that like addiction to success for me, like when I'm successful, people leave me alone and I don't actually have to practice intimacy because it, um, like to the world, if I'm like earning enough money and I have a good position at my job and I'm staying busy and you know, I can like, keep keep my appearance somewhat together then the world is like gold star awesome you're great <laughs> everything's fine and yet like when we when i look at the polarity between success and failure it's like like with any true polarity when you go really deeply into one end it flips so it's like i feel like there's a huge failure in that kind of success for me it's always been just like a, a like a failure to like 
to really be myself and a failure to like really take authentic risks and be vulnerable. And then just like, what a huge, you know, that within the failure, which we're also terrified of in this culture that like, what, what success is possible, like within the failure. So I, I know that you, like, can you tell a little bit about your journey of just, of, of your work in, um, in, in the school system and, and your successes and, and how failure fit into that as well? Yeah. So, um, well, one thing quickly that you, that in what you've kind of mentioned so far is just, and I think this is what I struggle, what, what I'm struggling with right now in this moment is just right. The stories we tell ourselves and, uh, the story that society tells us as well around this idea of success and failure and how that really breeds, um, some really toxic narratives about perfectionism and, and, um, and that failure is, is not always an option. And I think that that's what I'm really running against right now in this moment is, is exactly what you're talking about is like these stories that we tell ourselves that if we're successful, if we're doing these things, if we're reaching these goals, then, you know, we're doing good, right? Um, but on the flip side of that is when we fail to reach uh, these ideals sometimes because maybe uh, the story is not quite in alignment with what, where we're truly going or um, when we fail to reach our goal because it's, it's one that, that's too high for us, um, that, that we start to tell ourselves an, a different story around failure, which is we're not good enough, we're not worthy enough. And instead of the story of, you know, when we fail, it's, it, it opens up this whole new arena of perspective and opportunity. Um, right, to reevaluate our value system and to tell ourselves a different story and maybe a story that's a little bit truer to our own, uh, to our own inner nature and to our own greater potential. And so it's interesting how <laughs> we don't tell ourselves that story around failure, right? It's always this negative, negative story, whereas our story of success, is, it's exactly like you said, it's an easy one. Right. It's like we're doing good. We're fine. And everyone's kind of, kind of going to leave us alone. But in that story of failure, there's so much more um, depth to compassion and creativity. And we just we don't we don't ever we, we don't tell those stories. And I think that that's what we need to do more of. Um, so I'm not quite sure that that answered your question in terms of, of my career. But uh, so, yeah, so I started off uh, moved to D.C. Uh, about 10 years ago and uh, started um, working in uh, early childhood and the, the policy world and um, really loved it. And at the time is also facilitating a program for homeless children and really realized that uh, early education and, and education in general was um, uh, what was really going to help uh, children kind of get out of uh, poverty. And so decided at that moment to dedicate my career and my life to uh, early childhood education. So went into the classroom and taught for uh, 10 years. And the last five of those 10 years uh, started my own school. And it was a Reggio-inspired lab school at the University of the District of Columbia. And um, yeah, that came with a lot of success and a lot of failure <laughs> in terms of I think anyone who's ever pioneered uh, a new idea or tried to start uh, a new organization kind of knows is there's a lot of 
uh, ups and downs in the journey. And um, I was young at the time. I was 28 when I started the school and uh, learned a lot about myself. And I think that um, there was so much that I learned in the success of the school, but I think most importantly, some of my deepest lessons and the lessons that I'll take away with me and um, probably will use as fuel to do better are the, are the lessons I learned in, in how I failed, um, which had a lot to do around leadership, um, around, you know, running an organization. Um, but all in all, it was just an incredible and beautiful experience. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's the career path. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love the, the, um, talking about something after it's over. Cause I think we can see it like in context yeah. <laughs> like when you were talking about it, I was like, Oh, you have, you have like such a clear narrative around it because you've that chapter is that chapter is pretty much closed. Like you're, you're starting a new chapter right now. So I was like, Oh, what's it going to be like when she's at the end of this chapter, which is just starting to be written right now. And you'll be able to see how all these ups and downs actually make perfect sense in the in the context of what's what's going to happen moving forward yeah and one thing I know that we uh, you know that you and I in our collaborative work have started to talk about more is this idea of work-life integration and um, you know the biggest thing about teaching and the education profession is that it is truly a uh, a profession where you have to show up every day and bring your whole self. And um, one thing that I learned in my journey is, especially as I started to get into more and more leadership roles, started to have more responsibility, was just how um, just how much of myself I had to bring uh, bring to the stage every single day for so many different um, constituencies, whether it was my kids or my teachers. Um, or my families, or anyone else that worked in the university. And it was this bringing of my whole self and realizing that I couldn't separate who I was in my personal life and who I was as a leader in my professional life, and that they had to be in alignment. And um, that's something that, uh, you know, I've always loved about the teaching profession. I feel like it's a gift um, that's kind of given to us. It's inherent in our job is that, you know, we talk about things that we want to do with children, like listen to them more intently to be present. Um, and these are things that if, if we're not doing these things in our personal lives, if we don't know how to show up fully for ourselves, um, to be compassionate, to be good listeners, um, then we're not going to be able to do that in the classroom, in our professional lives. So uh, it started to become uh, pretty imperative, especially towards the end of my career, that working on my personal self outside of work was what's really going to help me to be more successful in my professional work. And as, as coincidence in life has it, that's when I met up with you and started doing a lot of deep, deep work um, on myself around vulnerability, around self-care, and just how uh, that showed up in my professional life in really wonderful ways um, really changed my perspective on um, our personal professional uh, life integration. Okay. I have, I have two questions. So one is that I would just want you, cause I think this work life integration concept is really revolutionary. And so I, I just love to like hear you explain it a little bit more. And then I'd also love to, to know how the self care work has helped you to um, how that help has helped you to show up in your work. So you can answer those together or separately, but those are my two curiosities. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, with the integration piece, um, it was interesting. I was just reading uh, an article in Forbes about this, and I think that um, the conversation really, what it seems like um, around work-life integration, which is kind of moving a, a little bit away from this idea of work-life balance, which is that we want to have a balance between our work life and our and our personal lives and and how that becomes this never ending seesaw because it it seems to always separate the two um right and there should be some separation between the two but i think that in some of these articles that are that are coming out talking about millennials and what we're really looking for in the, our personal work and in our professional work is that we have both um, that our personal lives, that having a life outside of work is respected, that um, we can bring um, ourselves more fully into our professional life because we're also able to live a very full personal life. And that's how I'm kind of sort of beginning to understand it. Um, the way I kind of looked at it um, through my own experience in the classroom was just that, um, and through my work through self-care, was that as I started to do uh, more of the vulnerability and the self-care work, um, which really uh, talked about taking care of yourself, um, having this perspective of joy um, in my life, creating environments uh, emotionally and physically where um, I was constantly, where beauty was constantly reflected back, um, where I uh, could, could, you know, have moments of, of rest. Um, as I started to do some of these habits, I realized why can I not do these habits also in my professional life at work? Um, why can't I find time to find beauty and inspiration and creativity in my work um, to feel joyful and present, um, you know, at the office or for me in the classroom? Um, and so I started to realize that there was this integration between these daily habits, essentially, and these perspectives on life. Um, you know, it wasn't like, oh, yes, I get to clock out, you know, at the end of the day. And this is when all the fun stuff starts because it's my off hours. It's like, you know, oh, I can turn off all this work mode mentality and now I can really take care of myself. It was more like, how can I take care of myself throughout the day? Um, when I'm at work 10 to 12 hours <laughs> out of my day, it seems like a, a large amount of time to be wasting not taking care of myself. So I started to see how I could integrate uh, a lot of these habits into my work life. And, and then as I started to integrate these habits into my work life, I realized that my perspective started shifted, uh, my mood shifted, um, the way I viewed my work shifted. Um, the way I interacted with my colleagues and with my children shifted. And I realized that this was really what the crux and the definition of what a work-life integration really looks like. Um, when we don't separate our personal and professional lives in a way that our personal life is where we can have all the fun, take care of ourselves, do the things that we want to do, and work is like the daily grind. Um, oh, it's work. I have to like put on my professional hat. It's like, no, I can take all those things that I love doing in my personal life to take, to truly take care of myself and, and, and show up for myself and be my best self and, and put that into a work environment where not only do I get to show up for myself, but also for the people that I work with and for. Um, and so it really started to shift, um, 
my perspective on what work-life integration versus work-life balance really started to mean for me in my life. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, I, I just think it's really big what this concept is because you're, you, you do speak to this um, perceptual idea we have that work can't have any joy in it, that we have to turn a part of ourselves mm-hmm. off for work. And, and this is problematic because we spend most of our time at work. And so if, if we can't experience anything but like kind of an uncomfortable, at, at best sort of like, you know, mildly, mildly okay striving environments where we're not creatively stimulated and we're not able to really feel like we are ourselves and we don't, aren't able to talk openly about things and we're not surrounded by um, inspiration and beauty. That's a long, it's a large part of our life to give away just because um, we're supposed to do that. And then I think the the other issue with that is that once we get out of that environment, we're so burned out that we don't even have the energy that we need to, to authentically take care of. Ourselves. Absolutely. And there's so much kind of discontent that builds from being in jobs that we don't love that a, a lot of what the, the off time is, it's more around numbing than it is around self-care, which can numbing can look a little like self-care. That's like the few glasses of wine. That's the, you know, big meals. That's the being on the internet all the time. All of that is a way that we use to not feel actually. And so self-care has to be about a way that we're integrating how we're actually feeling our emotional states where we're communicating with honesty, where we're inspired, where we're um, challenging ourselves and challenging each other and where we, we care about ourselves and we care about other people. So when I think about what workplaces are missing, it is a lot of that stuff. And when I think about what people's, lives outside of work are missing. It is a lot of that stuff. And, and something about me is that I've just never, ever been able to work in an office because when I, when I got back from Tisbar, <laughs> I went into an office and I was like, it's, I just come from this Latino culture where everyone was so personal and so friendly. You're a family member immediately. And I got in this office. I was like, are these people depressed? I was like, is it, I was like, I shouldn't <laughs> talk to anyone. I, and I went to like two different offices. I tried and I, and I was, uh, like, I just can't do this. Like I was starting to get really depressed. And so I was like, I'm, I would rather earn no money and teach yoga, <laughs> and, <laughs> which I love doing in my own way too. But I like, I spent a long time in DC, like not knowing what I was doing, but just being so relieved that I wasn't in an office environment anymore because I knew I couldn't be myself there. And with yoga, it was like, I did feel that integration that what I was, what I was doing was, you know, riding my bicycle around town and teaching 15 yoga classes a week. But I was also really feeling like everything I was learning while teaching was helping the rest of my life and everything in the rest of my life was informing how I was teaching. And more and more as I've lived into that, I've created this this coaching business, which I, I honestly, I don't know when I'm working and when I'm not working because the work does feel so interesting mm-hmm. and so joyful. And there's so, there's so much self-care in it. And, and so I'm, I'm kind of always on and, and, and none of it feels very effortful because I'm, I'm really myself all the time. And when I look at people like Oprah, when people are like, how does Oprah do all of that? Like, I look at it now, I'm like, oh, because she's just being herself. Like, she's good. She's hired a lot of support, obviously. But she's just telling people what she likes and she's asking the questions she's curious about and promoting the people that she likes and just really herself. And she's actually built like a pretty amazing empire out of that. So when I, when I think about the potential that work-life integration has for our success, it to me feels pretty, pretty epically interesting actually. And it feels scary, right? It's like, how do I even start to like 
integrate that, you know, and I think for me, it really uh, came down to just the habit changes. And, you know, doing these habit changes and practicing them in my personal life, and then slowly integrating them into my professional life and seeing how much they changed uh, the way I worked, and the way I worked with others. And I think that's the biggest fear, right, which is something that we, uh, you and I have talked about before is, uh, how do we start to do this uh, very vulnerable, uh, courageous work in systems that aren't created uh, towards this kind of human condition? We, we are human beings working in systems that are not created for human beings, right? Like they are created for maximum productivity. And so how then... You know, because it it can be a bit of a daunting task to get, to go into a to to a larger system, and say take a stand, which seems pretty revolutionary actually, to take a stand and say, you know, um, I'm going to uh, take care of myself, and I'm going to, you know, bring joy into this and creativity into this environment. And some uh, systems and some workplaces can be very stifling uh, environments. Um, to, to do that, to do this type of uh, work in. And so, um, but I think that you have such a great uh, theory on this idea of individuals changing institutions. And yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Cause I just, um, I think of the collaborative work that we've been doing. It's, I, I think that that is also um, just a key, key lever in this entire, in this entire process. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I get super fired up about sharing this, but I, <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, I'm going to say that and I have another point, but okay. Um, I, I don't believe that we can create cultural change on the level of culture. Like it's too big. And, um, and I, and that's what most people are trying to do all the time. They're like, we have to legislate this. We have to like really get, we have to get someone else to go in and change it. And that's not really how change happens. Like change has to be an individual process where you are willing to go inside, look at the parts that are, that are challenging you make changes, which is like what we're going through. It's really difficult. Be willing to see things in a new way, being willing to surrender some things that, that you want in the service of something higher in yourself. And then as a result, change happens. And, but the cool thing is, is that once you get, enough people who have made these kind of individual changes working together, that's how you create cultural change or, or institutional change. If you can get people in workplaces doing this and what I'm finding in our um, beautiful life, self-care alumni community, people have taken self-care 101. There's over 150 women who are in the community now and more, you know, with every program that comes through and, and people are hanging out, they're collaborating on projects. They're starting to work together and even doing some professional things together. And it's, I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's, it's catching. Like, I was like, this is how a movement begins is mm -hmm. just, you create a space and you create um, a cultural norms around how, how people can interact and you, and you make it fun and enticing. So people want to be there. And I think a really big part of, of the magic of that is that just the community feel is so strong. And there's so many awesome women who, when I'm in the midst of you all, I feel like I belong in a way that, that is really hard to find in other parts of my life of like, these are smart, powerful women who care about their inner lives. And that's exciting to me. And that it creates such a like electricity of energy that like, and like I, we're all in Washington DC, pretty powerful place. We all have awesome jobs that have a lot of responsibility. And you know, if, if we keep doing this for a few more years, like what could we actually change? And 
I don't know what that is, but I, I get really excited. Um, <laughs> and, but I, but up to the point you were making before, it's like, I, I think what's so hard about making this decision to integrate ourselves and to really be ourselves at work and to really, you know, look at, look at our personal lives as a way to feed our work as well is that, that we have nowhere to hide in that anymore either. Mm. And, and that's where I think the fear of rejection gets so big. It's like, if we work on some project that we don't really care about and we're just like whiling away the hours to get a paycheck, then, you know, if, if nobody likes it or if it's not successful, like what's the big deal. But if you like, like my, I, I really care about my work because it's, it's me. It's like my spirit and my soul that I'm putting out there all the time. And so when I, when it, when it doesn't go well, or I sense something's not working well, I can't, I can't let it go as easily. Like it, it, it impacts me and I really feel it and I have to make changes and I'm, I'm always like wanting more feedback from clients and, and scared of rejection. And, you know, when somebody doesn't want to join a program, I can get into like a, like a sad mood and have to remind myself it's not personal. So like just what we were, we were talking about before, like I, I think the fear of rejection is actually really big and in, in taking this step forward and just starting to integrate as well. Yes. Um, yes. I really, uh, I, I, I felt some, some tingliness in my chest as I heard you talk about, because uh, even as I'm going through this process myself and, and, you know, interviewing for some really big positions, uh, for jobs that I really care about. Um, and, you know, that fear of rejection is very real, like staring me in the face at the moment. And I couldn't quite pinpoint uh, what it was that was causing all this angst and fear and emotion. And, you know, when I think about what you just said, it really is that I care deeply. And it's not just that I care, but like, it's, it's a part of who I am. It's what I'm passionate about. It's, it's, you know, my vocation in life. It's, it's what I've dedicated my entire being um, to existing. And when you go into any endeavor with that level of intimacy and vulnerability um, and passion, I think you are always setting yourself up um, to, you know, to, to really feel rejection and failure on such a deep level. And when I think about um, some of the biggest projects that I've done in my life, like the creation of the lab school and, um, you know, teaching in general, I think that those failures that I felt in my life so viscerally are because they come from a place of such deep love, um, just deep love for a field that, you know, I just see as being such a, such a huge part of who I am and, and, and what I want to do with, with, with my life. So yeah, it's, uh, that's very real. <laughs> and so what do we do about that? And I think that, you know, it's interesting as I talk about it, I get emotional about it. But at the same time, it's like when you go into uh, life with that, with that, you know, with your whole heart fueling you, like, you know, your whole heart and soul fueling what it is that you're doing, uh, God, what great success you can have you know, in those actions, I mean, wow, what beautiful things can be created from that place if we're willing to be brave and courageous enough to uh, put ourselves so fully and intimately uh, at the forefront of our dreams and passions. I mean, isn't that what we're, <laughs> I mean, why else are we doing these uh, habits and behaviors and taking care of ourselves if not to show up 
as fully and presently uh, as possible, um, which in and of itself is just such a scary endeavor. <laughs> and and I think that scariness is is like a sign of of the rightness of it. Actually, like yep. <laughs> I'm working with a client, and I'm like, "How does that feel to you?" And they're like, "Eh." I'm like, "That's not it." Like, how does this feel to you? They're like, ah, ah. I'm like, that's it. Like that kind of energy that we, we have that is fear. Like, it, I, I think it's also excitement, you know, and it's just that feeling of like our own potentiality that's out there. And, and what I've found in, this was a big theme that came out of the retreat last weekend was like, once you see something, you can't unsee it. So it's like, once I see mm-hmm. the potential that I have to, to help people, you know, and to, because oh, this is just what it is. It's like, I just feel like we all care so much. Like we can look at the world, like no one cares about each other anymore. And I'm like, no, the reason that we've all shut down is because we care too much. And like, we don't even know what to do with our feelings anymore. So we just repress them all and we go out. And I like, I get so pissed off about bad service, not because I care that I didn't get my like dinner on the time, but it's because I, I don't feel the care in it. And I'm like, this is what we have as human beings is our ability to just care for each other. And to like let let e- look each other in the eye and let each other mm-hmm. matter. And this is why I go to the homeless place every week and teach because not because I am a good person, but because people there care. Like I feel cared for by the people who are there, and they remember me. And we have great conversations every week. And it's it's a whole institution that's dedicated to caring for vulnerable people. And I'm so touched by it every week that it gives me the energy to keep going in a world that's shut down. And, and when I can find it, that's what the Peace Corps was for me too, was just a chance to like sit with vulnerability for two years. I was like, wow, this is just not what I, I grew up in suburbs. I did not grow up with a lot of vulnerability and like <laughs> intensity in that way. So it's like, I think once we can start to get these examples of, of what it means uh, to really care and our potential to, to show that and, and to be rejected in that, because once we care, we're going to be hurt. You know, once we're open and we, we put ourselves out there, like 100% guarantee that there will be, there will be hurt in that experience. And yet, like when I think about the, like the success within failure, it's that it's like, I like start crying, but it is, it's like every time that I have failed and I, and I let myself feel it, whether it be like I, I offered a program to someone who didn't want it in that moment, or I like told someone I cared about them and they didn't respond in the way that I wanted to. It's still like, that's the success is that I still care and my heart is open. And like, and I, and I just, I really want everyone out there who's listening to feel that, that, that fear is not a reason why you shouldn't go for what you know you need to be doing. And that your ability to care is not a weak thing. Like that is like the strongest thing that you have. Yeah. And, um, and you can't do it by yourself. <laughs> yourself no. and you need, <laughs> you need to have people who call you up and say, do this phone call with me where we're going to talk about our fear <laughs> so that we can both have uh, the strength to keep going on this very difficult journey. And I think having allies uh, is just, on this spiritual allies you know on this journey is just such a huge uh huge part of it you know and to um I think you know the other part is is that when you are going for something that you really care about and you know I think about you know even now uh you know in this moment that I'm in you know scared to go and do this next big step 
in my career or when I was at the lab school and things were getting tough and we had to hire so many teachers and then teachers would leave and then, you know, we'd get that phone call from a parent that day and then like something else would happen. There'd be a flood and everything was going wrong. Um, and it just felt like too much. I think going back to, uh, you know, going back to, to why you're doing this, you know, to the passion of the work, you know, um, when you're working for something bigger than yourself, sometimes almost failure can be easier. Uh, to deal with. You know, it just becomes an inevitable part of the process. And you can always go back and say, you know, um, I'm still doing it. I'm still fighting the good fight. And this is this is a part of that. And, uh, and I care about it. I care about it. And I'm going to keep keep moving forward. Um, I think in some of my hardest times and some of the darkest times, it's like, that's what's what's really kept me moving forward is that um, this is not completely about me that this is bigger than me and I think that that is uh really the force of 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 following your passion and doing doing really big work yeah it, it I love that you said that because it it is the truest thing and it's what's kept me going so much is that when I think about the teachers and the writers and the thinkers out there who I've found in my darkest moments and just somebody just reading a book even of just like oh my gosh, this, like, I'm understood, I'm not alone. And, and then I always go back and I'm like, but what if they didn't write that book because they didn't think they were good enough? Or they just like, <laughs> were afraid of rejection? And, and how many books have not been written that needed to be written out because of that? But, and so when I feel that way too, I'm like, eh, is this podcast good enough to publish? I'm like, but what if someone listens to it and it really helps them? And it's like, who am I to say that I'm not good enough to put something out there that mm. could potentially be meaningful? And, um, and I'm not the judge of that. Like I put it out there, maybe no one likes it and that's fine. But like, maybe someone does like it. And like, for me, that helps me just to keep going. So it's like, when we think about like the selfishness of leaving, leaving our job that we hate, like, it's just like, what about the selfishness of, of keeping your light, like stuffed so far down that you can't even see it. And, and like what, what starting to let that light emerge would, would could start to create for other people around you. And that, that, I think that's a good question to think about for a while. It's a, and it's a great question to ruminate on when you're afraid to, <laughs> to put yourself out there <laughs> and that next big thing. And, you know, I guess the shocking thing for me, right, is like, I always think, you know, um, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to, you know, be courageous and like not care if I fail and put my perfectionism to the side. Um, because the next time it's going to be easier and then the next time comes and it's not easier <laughs> because every time is scary and every time the fear of rejection and failure is real and every time, you know, perfectionism or some other thing gets in the way. Um, and, and there is a place of, of, of more inner strength, but I think that that's also a sign of growing right, is that things are going to, as you grow, as you lead this bigger life, as you do things, um, you know, that are, that are bigger and better, and it, it, they get scarier and scarier. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you think, ah, this is it, like, I'm never going to have to feel this, you know, shitty feeling again. And it's like, no, you, you keep feeling that feeling, and you keep gaining the knowledge that you can do it. Um, 
that the next big scary thing is also doable because you just did all these other previous really scary things. <laughs> and you know that every time you do a scary thing that you're growing um, in your light, you know, and you're growing uh, in, your, in your truest sense and in your truest potential. And if we're not um, scaring ourselves every day and putting, us, putting yourself in that position, then we're not truly uh, growing. And I think, you know, as I say that, you know, I also realize like how easy it is to forget that when you're in the moment and you're feeling all the negative feelings and it's, everything's rough and you can't see what the next step is going to be because uh, there's so much that it, it's, it's easy to forget that this is a good place, <laughs> that these are all signs uh, that you're going in the right direction and that you are growing and changing uh, for the better and that's when that's when you need you know your allies your spiritual allies to tell you and to remind you that that you know to shine that light and say you you're going down the right path you know this is this is what you're supposed to be you're supposed to be doing and it's supposed to feel scary because on the other side of that feeling of fear is intense great joy um because you're going to be living in your truth. Mm. So Larissa, I just want to <laughs> let you know that you are going down the right path. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and on the other side of all the supreme shittiness of the growth process is, is everything that you have to offer this world. And even in this, this conversation, you're already letting that shine. So just so you know, I believe in you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I feel so much gratitude for you and so much gratitude for everything that I've learned in this past year and a half and all the hard work. Um, and I think that's another feeling that we forget about, right, is the gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, me and my uh, best friend always talk about how we always say F the journey, you know, when we're just like done with the journey. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, this journey. Um, and then it's like the next moment, it's just like this immense gratitude. Um, and so I feel immense gratitude for you and, and all my other wonderful spiritual allies <laughs> that have been in this community of wonderful women um, that have been there to, to help shine that light. It's been wonderful. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it is a true, I am so grateful. I just like, have to pinch myself sometimes I'm like this is the work I get to do this is freaking great not that I don't have my emotional breakdown slash breakthroughs about it but yes I agree and I feel that we and I really do truly believe that there that we are on a tipping point um and how you know the next step is really you know and I which is why I'm championing you every step of the way in your in your own work that that the next step is really um you know changing uh culture and changing systems um and bringing you know this type of feminine leadership which you talk about all the time uh into creating new and better systems uh that are supportive and nurture this this type of development um not only for individuals within the organization but for healthier organizations uh themselves uh, to be giving back uh, to the community in a lot bigger way. I think it's I think it's such a critical part of of this work, and I feel this kind of 
um, leadership momentum that you talk about all the time and it's feminine leadership. Um, and, you know, especially, you know, recording this on the day of our elections and hopefully yes. things, you know, work out the way they're intended. But I think that this really is, is it could be fostering a new age of, of what does this feminine leadership um, look like and what does this, uh, what does this mean? What does this mean for our systems and our culture? Mm-hmm. And how do we show up in bigger, bigger ways? And that's why I feel like this work-life integration piece is, is, is essential. So important. And I, I want to thank you for that concept because it's been so helpful for me. And thank you just for championing the work and you just your enthusiasm for it is helped me to see what it, what it is. And, and that's, again, it's a co-creative process. So onwards. I Yay. <laughs> onwards. Else the next scary thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, if we're listening and you're like, well, what does feminine leadership look like? That That's the question is like, we haven't created this system yet. Like we're creating it. Right. We need you to like, like we don't have role models truly for this. And so if it, the path feels a little unclear, it's like, get out your, your weed whacker. Cause like we got to clear this and, and we'll, we'll do it together and then go sit on the beach afterwards and have a sandwich. Yes. <laughs> Sounds lovely. <laughs> Larissa, thank you so much for being with us. Thank and you, Gracie. Sharing your beautiful, messy light alongside <laughs> messy lights wonderful thank you gracie you're welcome thank you to everyone who's been listening and again just like just focus on one thing like be yourself at work a little bit more or like when you leave work like do something that you feel like enriches you to makes you feel better about yourself instead of doing something that makes you feel like you turn off from yourself or think about what feminine leadership looks like to you reach out to someone who you feel like is modeling that well start a conversation with a friend like there's so many entry points so I think the key is not to get overwhelmed just to find find that essence of it and get excited and inspired and then that that's what really spreads so all right it's next week we're we're it's the final podcast from guilt to greatness and we're going to talk about like really putting it all together and like that that connection to that magic of life and and what how to how to really channel into that in a consistent way so tune in next week and I'll take care. I'll talk to you all soon. Take care of yourself. Bye everyone. Hi, this is Gracie with beautiful life self-care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you learned something new. If you want to connect more then visit me at selfcarewithgracie.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter where on Wednesday afternoons, I'll send you more self-care practices, more inspiration, and more opportunity to connect to a community of people who really care about really good self-care. Also write me if you have any other questions or if you have ideas for future shows. My email address is selfcarewithgracie at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. And remember, keep putting yourself first and everything else will fall into place.